Hello and welcome to Oh My Word, the podcast about Watford in the 90s. I'm Matthew and as ever I'm joined by Michael. How are you doing Michael? Hello Matt, I'm good. Very excited, very excited about this one. And so you should be because this week we are talking about the 1998-99 season. Watford are back in the second tier after winning the Division 2 title in our previous episode. Very exciting times, Graham Taylor at the helm. Not an awful lot of changes in the squad though, Michael. What's it looking like as we go into the season? Yeah, so there were there were a few players coming in and a, a few players out. It wasn't wholesale changes, I think is, uh, is, is the way to look at this one. But as we mentioned, I think we alluded to in a previous episode, a couple of players from Carlisle that had caught the eye in the previous season, Alan Smart and Nick Wright, they were uh, uh, both came in this summer um, around sort of 100k each. So not not mega bucks, but um, uh, smart, a centre forward and right, uh, an all action sort of wide midfielder, uh, both joining from Carlisle after impressing against Watford at, at Vicarage Road. Also picked up Johan Goodmanson from Keflavik uh, for a fee that was you know rumoured to be sort of anything up to a uh, 200 grand. These are quite, I think, I think uh, signing an Icelandic, an Icelandic under-21 uh, uh, international was one of the more exotic signings that Watford made at that time. And uh, and speaking of, you know, glamorous signings from abroad, this summer also saw the arrival of Michel Ngongi from Samsonspor in Turkey. So he was signed on a free. And I think the interesting thing about this one, which a lot of people probably remember from the hearing about at the time was uh he was signed on the evidence of a of a videotape essentially and and i think the club you know taylor was op- open about this as well that it wasn't his usual way of doing things but obviously it had been this was in the era where agents started to you know put together highlight reels of their their players and send them around to clubs and obviously an agent it must have been an agent that taylor trusted for him to to act on on this so uh, you know before the days of youtube you know, Ngongi best skills and goals. <laughs> um, uh, or, you know, welcome to Watford, Michelle Ngongi, like, you know, those videos that people pull together on, on YouTube now. Um, they would have been sticking the VHS tape in at, at Watford HQ and having a look uh, to see what to see what Michelle Ngongi was up to and were convinced that it was worth a punt. Tony Day had a trial um, to try and get a, a, a contract. So he'd, he'd been joined the first team squad and was training with the squad to try and get a contract and he did eventually earn a uh, a short-term contract with the club obviously a player that Graham Taylor knew very well from his time at Aston Villa um, and Wolves um, and England so, as well and England of course yes uh, you know I think Tony Daly had been a player of real pedigree in the, in the, the late 80s and early 90s um, you know very quick proper old school winger get past players and, and get into the box but he'd had a lot of injury trouble um it was as was as we've seen when players coming into Watford during the last few years there were there was a lot of these sort of players who'd who, who still had something but they'd had a lot of injuries or you know their careers were sputtering a bit and um that that gave clubs like Watford an opportunity to take a chance and see if they could get something out of them in a similar vein Dean Yates joined from Derby on a free, and I, I think Yates was a you know had a reputation of being a really good defender, quite a, a class act when he was fully fit and in his prime. You know, a, a, a very calming presence at the back who could really read the game well. But again, he you know, I think by this stage he sort of had knees made of balsa wood, and you never knew how long uh, his appearances, run of appearances, was was going to last. So. So these are players brought in for you know no fees, but it was it was a risk, still a risk in terms of 
how how many how many minutes you'd see from the contract you're offering them so um but a bit of extra experience at the back one player uh there was a bit of a, a, saw, a transfer saga i don't know if you remember this on that uh sergey kleschenko i can remember reading about this exclusively in the Watford observer i don't think anyone else has running <laughs> this but i do remember yeah. the club pursuing uh this forward for quite some time yeah it seemed like every week Every week there was an update in the Observer. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do remember this. Is he joins the list of um, players like Jaron Nixon and Sigri Rushvelt of these, these was exotic the one I strikers yeah. that Watford were pursuing in the nineties, and none of them ever quite quite got them over the line. I think the Glashenko deal. He, he was Moldovan, I believe, and um, yeah, I think that there were work permit issues, which may have been able to be resolved. I'm not sure, but then I think also the the selling club. At the last minute, decided that actually like quite a little bit more money, please. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that one, yeah. that one fell through, unfortunately. And then in terms of uh, outgoings, not not too many. Um, Dominic Ludden and Steve Tallboys both released. Uh, Di Thomas after his brief moment of glory, scoring in the the, the Derby win at Kenilworth Road last season. So he's returns to Wales uh, in a fifty thousand pound transfer back to Cardiff. Um, and Nathan Lowndes, uh again, very brief appearances for Watford. Uh, headed north of the border to St Johnston. I think there's a feeling there that the Taylor is. I, I, you know, this is this is well reported anyway. This isn't uh, a, a novel thought. But Taylor is essentially rewarding the team that got promoted, isn't he? He's he's augmenting it with these new signings. But they're they're, so, they're yeah. not like out and out replacements for for players. No, I think he's trying to yeah, like you say, bolster the squad, give, make sure we've got reinforcements because they're going into a tougher league. Yeah, but he's. He wants to give the team that came up the bulk of that team. He wants to give them a chance to to, to do it again. And I think well, I think that's probably a recognition of the fact that there was, as we talked about last season, the main strength of this team was its its team ethic. The fact that they mm. bonded together, they were working together. I think Taylor, as a as a manager, was always very nervous about disrupting that too much, wasn't he? Yeah. He was nervous about the consequences of suddenly bringing in five, six new faces into the first straight into the first team and expecting that chemistry to, to continue. It doesn't work like that in football. Um, you obviously need the balance, don't you? You need to get yeah. a balance of, you need quality. But if you, if you bring in too much uh, uh, change at once, it can be very difficult from a, from a coach. I mean, your whole ethos, I suppose, as Graham Taylor's was, is about, you know, the team. It's all about the team ethic and about the, you know, the mentality and the bond that the players have, et cetera. Then, um, then that comes first. I, I was neither sort of pleased nor disappointed, I suppose, in that transfer window. I just thought, well, he's doing, you know, interesting. You know, I wasn't, I never expected Watford to go out and spend big bucks. So, yeah. um, didn't know what to expect from uh, uh, really any of the signings that had come in, in including Alan Smartnik, right? Because I, I didn't remember them for Carlisle. So mm. it was um, uh, it, it was it was interesting that those are the ones that they'd gone for. I just thought, well, let's see what they can do. You can kind of take that, that six in pairs as well, can't you? The just just yeah. looking at the list now, it's like you know, Smart and Right, good players in a in, in a struggling team. Can they make the step up? Goodmanson and Ngongo, no one knows who either of them are. Could be brilliant, could be terrible. Yeah. And Daly and, and Yates are, as you said, players with a, a good pedigree, but pretty unreliable in terms of their injury records. So, yeah, kind of th- three types of player there he's brought in. And interesting to see what happens with it. In terms of, so I suppose more generally, what's going on um, in football terms, Wolves, Ipswich, 
Bolton and Sunderland among the favourites to go up. Sunderland, as we know, have a certain Kevin Phillips playing up front with Niall Quinn. Uh, it formed a formidable partnership. They've missed out on promotion uh, the previous season, but they were um, uh, uh, hotly tipped to challenge again. And Bolton had uh, some really good players in their side yeah. as well. Players like Idaga Johnson yeah. um, uh, leading the line for them. Um, and, you know, uh, Ipswich and, and Wolves both had quality players in their lineups as well. So I think it was going to be tough. It was going to be a, it was going to be a tough division uh, given the, the quality of players in there. But Taylor was, you know, talking talking tough. It wasn't there to make up the numbers. He's saying he thinks we're a top 10 team. And, you know, if you're a top 10 team, then you've got a chance of being a top six team. So, so as you said, mate, he's put his face in us, in the, in the, in the players that had hmm. got in there and, and wanted to give them a chance. Um, kit wise, we have a new home kit, uh, well, a new away kit as well, didn't we? We had um, hmm. Lecoq, Lecoq Sportif, um, uh, a very, you know, heritage brand. Um, I think when I think Lecoq Sportif, I usually think of, did they, they make a Spurs kit for a while um, in the 80s? Uh, I feel like they did, but I might have imagined that. They, it was a, it was a, a yellow shirt with, with red sleeves and it had the sort of trim uh, along the shoulders with the, with the Lecoq motif on. Um, and red shorts again, quite a baggy cut. I've got this shirt actually, and it's, it's one that I can actually still wear, which I, hmm. I guess suggests... It was quite a forgiving shape because um, <laughs> I, I can still wear it. I played football in it the other night. And the away kit was, I wasn't a fan of this away kit. It was a sort of yeah blue and silver stripes. I didn't really know what was going on there. And and the badge was in those colours as well. And I'm never, oh, this sort of monochromed blue and silver badge. It didn't, look, is, it didn't look right to me. This is where we end the podcast because that is my favourite Watford kit of the decade by, by some distance, I think. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, revealed some of my more controversial kit opinions as we've been through. No, but you've, you've actually talked me around on the... Um... The, the old books are blue one because oh, really? when I yeah. saw that on classic football shirts the other day I thought that is uh, yeah it actually looks nice and it's got a nice collar and I, yeah. I can see uh, uh, where you're coming from on that one but this one no. well we'll give it a few more years and you'll be onto this yeah. one as well we'll see I think we might need a poll on this one <laughs> as well. well we'll see where we are um, and then I suppose just like where are we like culturally as well I mean I, I feel like this era 98 onwards we're into the sort of the death throes of uh, the Britpop indie era. That's just not really cool anymore. I think those, the bands, you know, the big household names like Oasis and Blur were so big now that they couldn't really be considered sort of alternative and cool. They were playing stadiums and um, uh, and being very indulgent. And I don't think um, uh, the smaller sort of indie Britpop scene had sort of died a death and had been replaced by really like by dance music i think and um uh, it was the era of the super clubs like you know ministry of sound and cream gate crasher they were sort of like dance music dance music became quite mainstream at this time and was you know um very much a feature of uh radio one and uh, mainstream you know radio, contemporary radio stations so so it's quite a big quite a big shift there what was what was going on in your world at this time matt yeah, like you say, the the kind of the, the pop element of Britpop had gone and had been replaced with a slightly harder edge, I think. And I was kind of not massively keen on that. Uh, and I also was definitely not keen on the, the scourge of new metal, which was in its infancy at the time. Well, you weren't a big you weren't a big limp biscuit. No, I wasn't. No, I like rock music and I like rap music, but you know, yeah. 
not the two together. I don't like pineapple on my pizza and I don't like New Rock. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. But what about as the season kicked off, Matt? We started us. We started the season on another very sunny August day. Uh, this time we were away down on the south coast. What can you tell us about how the season started? Yeah, happy day at Fratton Park, I think. Um, we win 2-1. Let's go, look up to the chase. And uh, I wasn't there and you were. So you can tell us all about how hot it was in the in the away end but well yeah that was an absolute that was a scorcher it was a, there's no away a roof over the away end at Fratton Park we'd gone down in my mate's Mark One Fiesta which is basically yeah, it was just a tin can in the heat and it got in a traffic jam in the heat obviously we were like four idiot lads who hadn't brought any water with us and uh <laughs> <laughs> we were absolutely roasting and then we got to Fratton Park and then it was just sitting in the sun. And obviously we didn't have sun cream or anything like that. So, um, and I remember the refreshment kiosks were being, uh, were, were very limited in their provisions on the day for the away end as well. Um, but uh, uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of lobsters by the end of it, I think it's fair to say. But the game itself um, uh, was a, a remarkable in terms of, of what for coming away with a victory, because it was one of those classic ones where you, basically outplayed for for 70 75 minutes by Portsmouth who looks a much more assured side moving the ball much more quickly with a lot more zip and they had John Aloisi up front who was mm. you know looked like a real classy finisher he scored their um, goal didn't he a good goal he scored a, their goal really good goal yeah and it, it was a bit like for the first sort of 70 minutes the away end was pretty quiet because <laughs> we'd made a lot of noise at the start but by the to 70 minutes of getting getting your asses smacked and uh, uh, it's being sort of roasted in the sun. It was hard to continue to muster too much enthusiasm. We thought oh, we're not getting anything from this. And then, and then Portsmouth contrived to gift Watford a goal. It's an absolute gift. Uh, a, a ball forward from Micah Hyde that uh, the Portsmouth defender tried to sort of cushion a header back to his goalkeeper. I didn't realise his goalkeeper had, had stepped forward off his line and just looped a header straight back over his goalkeeper into that. I mean, it came from absolutely nowhere and all of a sudden it was 1-1 and, and that was in about the 80th minute, I think. And as as this so often happens in these games, um, you get one, the, the momentum changes mm. and Portsmouth were suddenly to, couldn't believe what they'd done, basically. They were so deflated by that uh, that they, they stopped playing and uh, Darren Baisley, uh, who I think had come on as a sub, suddenly found that he could sort of beat his man at will down the the, the right-hand side looked completely energised and four minutes later swung over across for, for Jason Lee to head home. But I think the, um, the Jason Lee scoring the winner in this way, I mean, uh, uh, the, the thing that I remember about this is when you reflect on this season back is that we started this game with Jason Lee and Ronnie Rosenthal up front. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, actually. Yeah, yeah, it, it, seems, it seems difficult to imagine. Like, obviously... For different reasons, neither of them yeah. really played very, very much more at all. But yeah, our attack had completely changed. Smart had had started the match, um, but none of the other none of the other new signings uh, had, had started, had they? No, no. And Smart was pretty quiet uh, in that game. He didn't really get a look in. Um, he he tried, but mm. there wasn't. I mean, none of them got a look in. It was we really just played for the last sort of fifteen minutes um, uh, of the game and ended up winning it. So. When you're there for those games, they're magnificent, aren't they? Yeah. Because you, you you come out feeling so chuffed because you know you've absolutely got away with one there and you're not entirely sure how. It didn't really... I don't think anyone read too much into that. I thought, well, we were pretty lucky to get a win. But, you know, reflecting on what had gone previously, 
it was great to see the team still fighting, still hanging in there, uh, and still able to dig out a result against you know better opposition than they would have been facing last year. But they still managed to, to get something out of it by just sticking together. So yeah, well, kind of reversing that, we we have a couple of games against Cambridge, and they're in the third tier. Um, we played them in a pre-season friendly, and they they. I think they'd spanked us really. I think they've done they've done really well against us in preseason. We obviously hadn't learned anything about that match because uh in the in the first leg away, we lose one nil. Trevor Benjamin, who was kind of unknown at the time, uh, and did obviously go on to some have some repute, uh, he scores. Uh Tony Daly does come off the bench. Um uh Jason Lee plays again, and that would be his 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 final match for Watford. Um and we draw the the second leg one all. Um Sandwiched between those games, we beat Bradford 1-0 at home. Uh, Michel Ngongi scores, that's his home debut. And something that I think has made us both laugh is his celebration. He <laughs> hightails it back to the halfway line and uh, Graham Taylor reaches out for a handshake and he gets a big, like, low five instead, doesn't he? And yeah. you can see Taylor, like, shaking his hand afterwards as the camera pans <laughs> away. And, and, like, and it's obviously stuck in his mind because he talks about it talks later about in the season, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it says his hand's still red, still stinging <laughs> after Ngongi slapped it. I just remember there being a lot of talk about Ngongi before the game. Like it was one of those, because like we talked about, there wasn't much known about him. Yeah. So there was a lot of people just saying how fast they'd heard he was. Yeah. It's like, I can hurdy can hurdy can run 100 meters in 10 seconds yeah. and stuff like this, sort of like myths about him. Or <laughs> he can jump as high as a bus. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> and then he did, he did, there was a moment where there's someone just you know, punted the ball forwards and he turned and he and sprinted off the ball. And he was, he could shift, couldn't he? And yeah. Once he got going. Um, but it was also apparent very quickly that he was, he was entirely unpredictable in terms of where the ball was going to go. Yeah, once, uh, he was, he wasn't he? In both those games that he scores, so yeah, the, the league game against Bradford and the cup game against Cambridge, they're both kind of like, not quite diving headers, but, but, but near enough. Mm stooping headers and he was he was quite good with his head like was yeah he, he was he was slightly less unpredictable with his head let me put it that way a bit more of a backhanded compliment there but yeah he, he was very fast and he could go through on a one-on-one and pretty much hit the corner flag um <laughs> he it was he was very unpredictable but but yeah his first two appearances I liked him as well yeah his first two appearances he scores in so you know yeah. if he's your you know <laughs> you know essentially a marquee striker yeah good on him yeah so we're out of the cup, um, but we make it three wins from three in the league by going to Bristol City, who had been promoted alongside us, obviously, last year. Good uh, good title tussle they gave us. Uh, and we actually spanked them 4-1. Richard Johnson comes back for this game. He'd been injured in a pre-season match, and so this is his first game back. The, the team is kind of transformed from a couple of scrappy league wins and some rubbish cup performances. This is a, dominate, a dominant performance uh, against a team that probably think they're quite good as well. I think we've mentioned it before on during during this series, but his first goal is just absolutely stupid. Um, <laughs> it kind of fall, falls out of the air and he hits hits a ball as hard as I've ever seen anyone hit a ball before. And the keeper can all he can do is palm it straight up onto the bar and it comes back down on his head and, and goes in. But the you know the keeper pretty much ends up in the back of the net as well. He's <laughs> incredibly uh, incredibly powerful strike. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, how many seasons? This is. It's sort of fourth season doing really as a sort of first team regular now. I think Johnson, so. yeah. fourth or fifth, yeah. But um, he'd been he'd done it, every, it 
every season he delivered yeah. he, in terms of just uh, and he had such confidence running onto the ball and that one I think there was a lot of pent-up frustration that he let out on that <laughs> yeah oh, absolutely yeah yeah when he gets another one as well another one that's kind of like pinged in low on the ground yeah. in, into the far corner uh, in between that Dean Yates who's, who started the season alongside Keith Millen at, at centre-back he scores um, a lovely bit of Mike Vince commentary got to have every season got to have one of them after Dean Yates puts the ball in the back of the net, Mike says, there's competitor number two in the smile of the afternoon contest, <laughs> which, is, which is lovely. Um, and a nice move down our right ends up with Alon Hazan um, sweeping home to get our fourth. Um, so, yeah, handsome win, 4-1. Several people have, have mentioned the Bristol City Champions banner, which we didn't we didn't mention in the, in the previous episode. But, um, yeah, when, when we went to Bristol City last year, someone had spotted a slightly presumptuous champions banner that, that had been prepared for if Bristol City had been champions, obviously. So yeah, Matt Rowson and others point out the, the chance of where's your banner gone at this match. But yeah, we won our first three league matches of the season. So if you've just been promoted, then however you manage to do that, it's great. Still, the next match is at title favourites, or as you said, one of the title favourites, Sunderland. And we come back down to earth with a bit of a bump there because it's our first trip up to the Stadium of Light. Um, they've started really well. Like us, they, they, they've been winning um, and they would go on to keep winning as well. Kevin Phillips had already got four goals in the five games that he had played so far this season. He doesn't score against us, but but they they still managed to, to score four against us. Alan Smart scores ours so we lose 4-1 up at Stadium of Light uh, and then another another big team come to Watford on a Friday night live TV Wolves oh. um, interesting going for lots of reasons um, we did not play well in this match did we? No it was awful I mean this will be a bit of a theme sadly for what has been a theme hasn't it the live on Sky um, but the Friday night games in particular uh just seemed to bring out the worst in Watford during the, the 90s. And this one was no exception. I mean, to be fair, Bulls were a decent side. They had uh, uh, some quality players in their lineup. They had Robbie Keane, didn't they, up front? Yeah, uh, so up front, up front they had Bull and Keane, and they both scored yeah. against us. So Bull was kind of 34-ish, I would imagine. Yeah. And Keane, still a teenager. But um, Bull had, you know, had been a capable striker at this this level it's a great for, for, his goal is a really good finish it is a good finish yeah he'd been yeah. doing it for you know a decade plus hadn't he so yeah you know yeah. we uh we, we always knew we were going to have trouble when we played against him yeah Colin Lee's in charge of Wolves and it's his first job <clears throat> first management job he'd had since he left us way back in our first episode in 1990 mm-hmm. welcome back Colin yeah exactly yeah we knew he'd be back and it just took him a little, <laughs> a little while uh, so we're, yeah we lose 2-0 but um some of our Listeners will obviously remember that this is uh, a sensational moment. Harry the Hornet marrying Harriet the Hornet. Oh, um, the marriage the, the marriage was conducted by the official club chaplain. Uh, and Wolfie, the Wolves mascot, was best man slash witness, I suppose. So, yeah, we, we, do, we do know how to bring out the cringe on national TV as well, don't we? Dear God, yeah. I think we already covered this, didn't we, uh, in, in a previous episode? But yeah, it was it was the fact that it was all sort of taking place in front of the the Vicarage Road end, and uh, people didn't really know what to make of it. It was a sort of like this. It's a joke that's gone a bit too far, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, having a ceremony, but there we are. Um, it was, you know, 
a bit of creativity from the the marketing guys that that got a bit carried away. I think um, absolutely, uh, absolutely, and indeed, one of our listeners was in the suit. I, uh, it, it was uh, it was sent to me by direct message. I don't think that counts as. I don't think I should out him from okay. the suit, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So that brings us to the end of August, and we're in fifth, which is obviously a brilliant, brilliant return for our first uh, first season back in the relative big time. Uh, Jason Lee depart has departed the club by this time. He's moved to Chesterfield for two hundred grand. That transfer had rumbled on for a few weeks, uh, but was, was was finally over the line. He'd sort of fallen down the pecking order, or, or was set to with the the arrival of Smart and Ngongi, uh, and also had never moved closer to the club from his mm. uh, Northampton, uh, sorry, excuse me, Nottingham house. And Graham Taylor was a bit of a stickler for people living in the region, wasn't he? So, yeah, so for a couple of reasons, he you know he left the club and that he'd been at for, for just over a year and had, had had an up and down time, but was obviously responsible for a couple of uh, couple of great memories while he was here. Yeah, I, I think overall you have to look at Jason Lee's, he, let's just say yeah, he basically had a, a season at, at the club in terms mm. of his contributions. And although he had that sort of horrific uh, uh, barren spell, he did still do a, a fair part of the job that he was asked to do as a physical presence yeah. up front as a target man, which we hadn't had. Um, and he scored some really crucial goals. At the, he sort of bookended uh, that promotion-winning team, didn't he, from the um, uh, second division, yeah. which, which got promoted. He scored some important goals at the start to get us going, and some some very important goals at the end. He scored the goal that won us a title. So, yeah. so overall, I think you know he's. We should look back on him and think it was a decent signing. Um, he was never going to be the greatest centre forward Watford have ever signed. I don't think anyone expected that. So, um, yeah. So uh, you know. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Good luck to you. So yeah, so then, but obviously not the best run of uh, form going into September. Having had that great start, we come off uh, a couple of defeats against the better sort of the more fancied sides in the division, as you said, Matt. And then a disappointing one away at Huddersfield. Uh, we lost two 0 and that was three defeats in a row. And um, I think that sort of the goals have dried up a bit, and they just were struggling a little bit. We Taylor was experimenting with 5-3-2 and 4-4-2 and wide players not having tremendous impacts. They they, they, they played QPR in the next home game in mid-September and this one they won. Um, and they won it having to sort of, they've they got an early goal to get them off the mark and then QPR got a late, late-ish equaliser and Watford managed to come back again and, and win the game with a, an Alan Smart winner. But I think, I think it was Nick Wright who, um, uh, it was one of his sort of, first occasions I think where he really imposed himself on a game Ian Grant noted in Blind Stupid and Desperate that there was a potential Vic Road hero there and I think it was that sort of all action all energy style from Nick Wright um, with a bit of you know trickery and skill as well but started to you know a player who could make a difference in a tight game and that's what I've been missing in that run of defeat so getting back to winning ways I think very important there and the, the, the Carlisle boys are starting to have an impact. They certainly do in the next game away at Swindon. So this is definitely one of the the, the results of the season. Uh, Watford, Watford run out 4-1 winners away at Swindon with Alan Smart netting twice. Uh, one of them to really smartly taken sort of lob. Um, uh, Nicky Wright scores uh, and Alan Hazan scores again. I think it's, you know slightly flattering in that Swindon were um, uh, were all over Watford at the start. And then it's one of those ones where we scored one and then scored 
two and three quite quite quickly afterwards. And you know, sometimes those scorelines can be flattering. I don't think we were a sort of four-one better side, but I think it showed a, a you know again a ruthlessness that the team could possess when they all fired together. I think you know Graham Cagle notes talked about this on Twitter that sometimes these early results they didn't necessarily reflect the performances because we had picked up you know a, a decent amount of points early on and we hadn't necessarily been you know outstanding in all of the games that we played so far that's not a bad trait to have though is it at the start of the season when you've just been promoted and again we made it three wins on the bounce again with another victory this time a home win against Ipswich Town and this was the I suppose the first this is probably the first victory over one of the more fancied sides in the league Ipswich as we mentioned up front they were they were one of the fancied sides they were you know they really my memories of Ipswich of this era were that they really knocked the ball around well they were one of mm. the sides that you come up against and thought they they looked pretty classy I don't know your reflections on this on Matt for me this one was very much like um, uh, the Portsmouth game earlier and it, it not entirely didn't follow the same uh, entirely same plot in that this in this game we scored early but we then held on for 70 minutes pretty much because yeah. Ipswich absolutely battered us for the rest of the game uh, they really hammered us and I remember I think uh, uh, Holland Matt Holland slams one off the post from about 25 yards and I can remember just watching that ball it seemed to you could almost hear it whistle through the air <laughs> and the slap of it coming off the post but we were, were you at that game, Matt? We were absolutely battered in that one. Yeah, I remember it starting with Ngongi missing a glorious one-on-one, like right at the beginning of the match. And then, yeah, we we, we our penalty was awarded very soon afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it matches my memory exactly. Yeah we, yeah, we did really well for a very short period of time. And then it was back to the wall for, you know, 70 minutes, yeah. But another great win. Um, and we end September with uh, a home draw, one all against Sheffield United with uh, uh, Gifton Noel Williams scoring. The only um, uh, blemish to this was Ngongi went off injured. Um, uh, uh, well, he actually gone off injured in the previous game and was uh, was still missing. So, um, but a chance for Gifton uh, to get a bit, a few more minutes um, in, and make a bit more of an impact in the in the first team. Because this was a season, I think, where Gifton was expected to you know, kick on again. He's played a lot of football already. From breaking into the team as a 16-year-old, and although we were at a higher level now, mm. it's hoped that he could still progress and, you know, take his game up a, a level as well, which was going to be one of the, the personal challenges for him over the season, which you know, we will see how his season develops as, as we go on into October. Yeah, so going into October, we're fifth, and it's really, really tight at the top, just, just a couple of points separating sort of six or seven teams, I think. Uh, but we start the month terribly well. Uh, we go we go up to West Brom and lose another bad performance uh, in front of the cameras. And I think I was watching on TV, but you were at the Hawthorne, weren't you? Yeah, it was awful. I don't I don't really want to dwell on that one for too long, Matt, to be honest. It was Lee Hughes for, for West Brom. He was their hitman at the time yeah. and scoring for fun. There's a lot of boing boing from the oh. Baggies fans and oh horrible. It was awful. Horrible I couldn't noise. wait to, could not wait to get out of there and get back to New Street and and get home yeah well moving on yeah moving moving swiftly on yeah well we played Birmingham at home next um it was a a funny scheduling there was only a handful of matches played uh in our division uh that weekend and and us and several others played at midday so that people could get home after the match and watch and watch the England match that afternoon um we draw it one all 
uh, Micah Hyde header kind of deflects in off, off Gary Rower. Uh, and that's, uh, yeah, and that's one all. So we draw that one. And then we go up to Tranmere and, and we lose 3 2. It's our fourth game without a win. Um, smart scores uh, and he, he's, he's playing well as he's come into the team. And Ngongi missing and, and Jason Lee sold. We don't have an awful lot of aerial aerial ability in attack. You know, no Williams is tall, but not renowned for his his strength mm. in the air. You know, he can he can pull a ball out of the air with, with a magnetic chest. Uh, mm. uh, and Smart is is it's becoming very apparent that Smart is a great target man when the balls play to his feet. But we don't have an awful lot of of aerial prowess, and and some of the wide players are still swinging crosses in as if there's. Jason Lee there to get on the end of it, but but there isn't. Um, Smart and Noel Williams score the goals in that match in that loss. But and we shortly a couple of days later we played Bolton away as well. And and Taylor has kept the squad up in the northwest. We have a terrible record up there. By this stage, it's five years, five seasons since we've won a game in the in the northwest. So so he's kept them up there for a bit of bit of morale boosting and team bonding in those in those few days. Uh, and it works because Noel Williams scores again and Kennedy Kennedy scores and we win 2-1. Yeah, we'd gone 1-0 down, but but I think it was quite a fun match. And uh, listener Martin Elson says that uh, that was the game that he realised, if perhaps not the team realised, that, that we could be competitive in this league, that it wasn't a flash in the pan start. You know, we've ground out a good yeah. result, a good away result at, at a decent team. You know, Bolton, as we'll come on to, to find out, they're a good team this year, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were a classy outfit. I think they had some really good players. They uh, had the Ic- uh, the Icelanders, didn't they? They had the Icelanders, um, but they just yeah, they were they were a very useful side. And uh, you, you did, I was you didn't go there expecting to win. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, a point would have been a great result. A win was a fantastic result. And I think uh, Martin is right that that really put down. Mark, it wasn't that one was didn't feel like a fluke. I think um, you know some that result against it, which you know was we were a bit battered. I think in, in the Bolton game, they they really fought them and uh, and deserved to get that one over the line. I yeah. think it was tough, but they you know they 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 did it. They did, they did. And speaking of Icelanders, uh, yes, Port Vale at home, we draw two two. But an unlikely hero in in that draw is Johan Goodmanson, who. He scores two goals. Um, hadn't really featured inside. Uh, at this point, I didn't really know what sort of player he was. You know, he kind of filled in a fullback and wing back. I think I think he's a midfielder. I think I think he probably spent most of his career in midfield. Seemed seemed sort of fairly technically able. Looked about thirteen years old. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I remember that match very clearly. I remember the the, the, the surprise he displayed when he scored and and I think you liked his celebration as well didn't you well he's sort of like clapping almost like applauding himself he sort of yeah. holds his hands up and is clapping as he's sort of running around as if he's it's like I think he's just joining in the celebration because he's so <laughs> elated but it looks like he's sort of clapping himself as he's sort of running around because he doesn't really know what to do um which is always like it's it's very delightful when you see a player who's obviously so thrilled to have scored and he takes his first goal very well, doesn't he? Does, he does. Yeah. Tidy yeah. finish. Yeah. The friend of the podcast, IJ, on Twitter, specifically asked us to, to to mention this. He says it's not the highlight of the season, but definitely worth mentioning and that he deserves at least Lars Melbank status. And I think, <laughs> I think, he, I think he's earned that, hasn't he? We're going we're gonna to create the Melvang index to, <laughs> <laughs> to rate some of these players who've just sort of come and gone very briefly. There. 
there'll be a, it's going to be a long list. Yeah, he's definitely in a sort of, you know, positive over 100 on the Melbank index, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after a difficult few years in the Northwest, we now can't stop winning. So we go up to Berry and win 3 1. Uh, Baisley and Gongi and Smart uh, score after we've gone one after we've gone one nil down. Basie's goal is really good. He, he runs from the halfway line. He plays a kind of one-two with with Smart and cuts inside. Uh, and, you know, a decent finish as well. Uh, and Gongi's back from injury and he scores. Um, uh, yeah, Alan Smart gets one as well. And in, in the interview after the match, he sort of notes how how good the team are on the counter. You know, we aren't dominating games in terms of possession. We're not just sitting back and doing nothing either. But hmm. we, we would show throughout the season that we could be pretty lethal on the counter when we wanted to be, yeah. when we could put an incisive move together. But that takes us to the end of October and we're still in fifth. You know, we're, we're, we're winning some, we're drawing some and we're losing a couple and we're sticking around in the playoff places. And we're yeah. getting into, you know, get, getting towards the winter. That's really good stuff. I think that uh, Baisley goal really highlights where he's at now in his Watford career, where he's actually making those sorts of contributions. It's not like he doesn't do it every week, but it feels like he's he's sort of, he spent so many years where he just sort of viewed him as a sort of, you know, the a bit of a, either like the sort of rookie winger who'd come on and, you know, mm. maybe do something, but also just drift out of a game to, he just seems to know much more what his strengths are and how he's got that game intelligence now, hasn't yeah. he, basically. And actually that starts to look like a really, a really useful player at this level because he can, he can run with the ball and he's got a decent cross and he can shoot as well. And yeah, like I said, he doesn't do it every single game, but his, this is a season, I think, where he starts to make those really important contributions at the right time, I think. Um, yeah, and he's kind of, I think he's improving his versatility as well, isn't he? He's clearly, yeah. clearly learning a lot from Nigel Gibbs. You know, Darren, yeah. Darren Basie, I'm sure, would be the first to say that he was never the world's best defender. No, he was Never the world's best, best right back as such, but he could put a shift. And, you know, we were kind of moving into a period where fullbacks were more, becoming more attacking weapons as well. So, you know, having someone there who could, who had some recovery pace, could get out wide and, and sling. He was ever so good at slinging in those deep crosses for, for, well, I think that's for probably, Yeah, I think that's, 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 that is what appeals probably with, with, with Taylor as well, is that Taylor likes players to get forward. Uh, he likes to use the wings and put crosses in, doesn't he? And, and basically could do that. So yeah. you probably forgive him some of uh, if his defensive side of his game wasn't quite as effective then you'd let him off a bit of that if he was contributing yeah. going forward which he certainly was so as you say yes um into november we go uh, start off with a, a draw at home to norwich city thanks to a matt jackson own goal we then follow that up with one another one of the memorable games of the season at home to oxford united uh, a few things to pull out about this game but i think the thing that everyone remembers is that both teams were wearing Watford's kit. Um, Oxford had turned up in their home home kit, which is obviously yellow, um, uh, fundamental clash there. So we had to lend them our away kit to play in, which was very strange. And <laughs> there wasn't, I don't recall there being much of an announcement about that. It was just sort of, so you're sort of in the stadium and you thought, are they playing in Watford's away kit? <laughs> it's a really strange <laughs> sight to see. I don't think it did the morale of the Oxford team uh, much good to be having to borrow kit off their opposition because they were awful in this game, Oxford, and, and Watford absolutely battered them from start to finish. Steve Palmer scores the first, and then it just took an absolute eternity for Watford to kill the game off because they were they 
they probably should have scored five or six in this game. And I know sometimes you say that and it's exaggerating, but they really should have. They were they were that dominant. Uh, and Nick Wright, I, I mean, this Nick Wright had games like this, didn't he? Where he it was you yeah. were left scratching your head in terms of how he hadn't scored because he just seemed to be absolutely everywhere and on the end of everything. And there's there's he gets put through on goal and then scuffs his finish wide. He he then gets put through again and beats the keeper and the defender clears it off the line when he's about to tap it in. And it's just, you know, um, uh, uh, one of those days for him. Eventually, uh, uh, Gifton scores um, the winner to, to settle it with a, a, a very tidy finish. It's a really good goal, actually. Um, uh, yeah, I really like that one. Yeah. And it was, you started to see him do more of this as the season went on, Gifton, where he, he started to score these goals where he'd actually get running behind and and finish with like a really like composed first time finish. This is a sort of outside of the boot one, isn't it? Or he, he flicks it first yeah. time, um, yeah. uh, past the goalkeeper with his uh, with the outside of his boot. But because he's he's so powerful, it absolutely flies past the goalkeeper. It's a sort of toe poke, <laughs> but it absolutely rockets past him. And we also see Robert Page as sort of like you know uh, the ball playing centre half in this game as well. He's, Sets up Nick Wright for a chance. One of the many ones that Nick Wright squanders, but he steps forward. Out yeah, kind of marches through, marches through the midfield, doesn't he? And a bit of a yeah. defence splitting pass. It's really yeah, good. yeah. Um, it wouldn't look out of place in the modern era. I think uh, that one from Pagey. So uh, the other thing I wanted to note about this was this was in uh, in in Watford's you know the way that they uh, uh, reviewed this season. They, this was one of the first seasons where they decided to release not one but two videos so they did the sort of first video actually ended after this Oxford game on the 7th of November presumably that was to give them time to sort of edit put it together produce it and get it in the shop for Christmas because it was a bit of a random time to stop yeah. a video on the 7th of November so that was that was the first part that came out which I think was called like our story so far or something like that um uh obviously at that point no one knew where this season was going it had been you know a very positive start to the season but we didn't know uh, have a clue where it was going to end up but that was that was available um uh, in the Hornet shop for for stocking filler that December as a month went on we drew away at Stockport uh, and then followed that up with a really good dumping victory over Crew 4-2. This is the first time Vickers Road has seen you know, a decent amount of goals from uh, from the home team. Gifton scores twice, Baisley on the score sheet again, and Nicky Wright, Mike Vince really struggling on the comms in this one, his rasping voice. Um, uh, he's getting, uh, so maybe he's just been getting overexcited. But three times in the first half we score in this game. So the first time we've really sort of actually come out flying out the traps and, and put a game to bed early on, although we still managed to concede twice. But the game is never really in doubt. Um, and then we go away to Selhurst Park. I think lots of Watford fans are still pretty bitter about this one. We draw two all at Palace. Terry Venables in the in the Palace dugout. Uh, and they still had, I think they had Attilio Lombardo was still in their, um, in, in their side as well. One of the signings from their um, doomed Premier League season. But Watford were 2-0 up and playing really, really well. Uh, they pulled, Palace pulled one back uh, before half-time. And in the second half, Sasa Churchich with an absolute shocker of a dive. And it is, he, you know, how has he sold that to the referee? It's an absolute stinker. 
And oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Like even so Craig bad. Ramage would shake his head at that. It would it's, be it's disgusting. Quite some piece it. of work. Yeah, I mean, you can see it even in, even on the sort of you know, grainy VHS footage and recycled onto YouTube, you can still see it's an absolute shocker of a dive. He nowhere near any any contact and just throws himself to the floor. The referee buys it and and then we draw two all. But yeah, watching it back, it still still hurts, but still hurts. But never mind. We'll, we'll move on. We'll move on into into December but we end the month we end November 3rd um which is remarkable uh to be third going into December for a newly promoted side you can probably tell that the pattern of results has started to get a lot more patchy um we're not going you know on the sort of three four match winning streaks at the moment uh but we're still in a position in the table where we'd have absolutely snapped your hand off if you'd offered that to us at the start of the season it would be third going into the start of December. Uh, and we just signed Alex Bono, the young, is he ben, French or Belgian, Alex Bono? He was French. He was yeah. French, yeah. But I think, did we sign him from a Belgian club? I don't know. If I've... We may well have done, I'm not sure. I don't even, th- was it, I don't, I'm not even sure he was that young, but um, uh, but a classy midfielder, I think. Classy um, midfielder, yeah. Could put his foot on the ball and kind of give us a bit of breathing space when we needed it. But we wouldn't get to see him for a little while because we signed him as, as a, a crocked man. I'm getting confused with Bacali. Do you remember Bacali? Adrian Bacali. Oh, wow. Yeah, Bacali. That's next season, I think. He was Belgian. He was Belgian and young, I think. So, yes, I've gotten confused. Apologies. Um, So, Matt, tell us what happens going into December. Well, this period, we've been without Graham Taylor, who's had a... He'd been in hospital with what... I'm sure it was reported at the time as being quite a serious condition, but but I was reminded of how serious it was. He had an abscess and it completely blocked up his windpipe uh, and, and could have been extremely, extremely dangerous. So, so he was hospitalised for a brief period uh, and while he was recuperating, um, Kenny Jacket has, had kind of stepped into the stepped into the dugout, what well, dugout that he would have already been sat in anyway, but he would have moved a seat across at least. But going into December, it's Barnsley at home, which is a, a really boring, boring nil-nil. Um, Notable only for the fact that I'm astonished that their keeper didn't get sent off. He comes charging out of the area and just goes right through Gifton Noel Williams. Oh, yeah, and yeah. He's just given a booking. But yeah, you're pretty one of uh, a number of fairly dubious refereeing uh, mm. decisions that we see over the course of the season. But then, then a real strange match at home uh, to Stockport. It's the 12th of December. Taylor is 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 fit enough to. Um, sit in the director's box alongside Elton John and, and indeed after the match or around the time of the match anyway they hold a, a press conference together but Elton isn't around an awful lot he probably hasn't been back since the uh, since the Wickham game that we spoke about last season you know that's a reason for them to have a press conference and they talk about short medium and long-term plans but they all seem to be just we need to get into the Premier League <laughs> essentially yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and this th- this match is very strange because it's it finishes four two, but it was absolutely not a four two game at all. Chamberlain is our man of the match because Stockport are really really good, uh, and they have some really good chances. Yet we reached the ninetieth minute with four 0 up, so we never really sort of fully dominated the game. Now Williams gets another brace, so he's you know st- still right amongst the goals. Johnson gets another one and right again, but they score two goals in in injury time to kind of take the gloss off what would have been. Well, what could perhaps have been an even stranger result? Because it's a, mm. if it wasn't a four-two, then it definitely wasn't a four-nil either. Yeah, Johnson's 
Johnson's goal is a good is a good volley that kind of bounces in off a defender. All the goals are good in that match, really. Uh, and Noel Williams follows that up in the next match, um, the last match before Christmas. Uh, we lose away at Grimsby. Uh, Noel Williams gets our goal. And then the two kind of festive games, home to Bristol City, uh, 1-0 win with an Allen Smart winner. Um, we signed Bunyan Ben. Oh. Ben Aroha has had a trial period uh, and he signs and the club are aware that he's suffering from these Bunyans and they would they would cause him great trouble. Um, but he gives us an extra option kind of uh, uh, on the left-hand side. And last game of 1998 is away at Norwich. Um, Ewan Roberts scores for Norwich, but Steve Palmer scores a really fierce drive uh, to, to equalise um, equalise that one all. And we finished the month and indeed the year back in our familiar position of fifth. So yes, Ben Aroa was another of those signings, wasn't he, that came out of absolutely nowhere. And uh, there was quite a lot of excitement again because he was, a, he was actually a you know, proper Nigerian international, I think, uh, at the time, or yeah. had been. Apparently the club knew about, they obviously knew about the Bunyans. It wasn't, that wasn't a surprise. Uh, I think that, you know, he had some history with that, but they, you know, again, another one that they wanted to take a chance with uh, because he was a player, you know, of a decent, of a decent level. He played, you know, however many caps for, for Nigeria and um, was, was reasonably experienced and, Early impressions were that he was going to be a lot of fun, weren't they? I mean, if if yeah. if Michelle Ngongi yeah. was 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 unpredictable, then I mean Ben Arrow was like I mean something else, wasn't he? In terms of you just absolutely did not know what was going to happen when he got near the ball. Yeah, slightly more nerve wracking when it's your uh, you know left back that's doing True. that rather than your True. striker as well. Yeah, I think um, uh, I read about him on Blind, Stupid and Desperate and they described him as like the anti-Gibbs, basically, in terms of left back. <laughs> it was sort of everything that Nigel Gibbs is. They didn't mean that in necessarily an entirely negative sense. It was like he obviously brought things to the side that someone like Nigel Gibbs couldn't, but you did, you've got none of the steadying calm influence and the reliability that you get from a Nigel Gibbs. None of that was there. It was sort of, it was strap in and hold on to your butt time when Ben Arrow <laughs> was on the pitch, which we saw the, 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 the new year kicks off with uh, an away trip to Spurs in the FA Cup. So a fun third round tie. George Graham was Spurs manager at the time. I went to this one. It was uh, a, the best opening minute for a trip to Spurs. I think what the fans have, have ever enjoyed, and it was it was Ben Aroa at, at the at the heart of it. He he just I don't know what he was doing up there. He just decided to charge up uh, his flank in the opening sort of thirty seconds, rocketed past Sol Campbell and uh, <laughs> slammed the ball across, and Johnson ends up slamming it home. I think fifty seconds gone. Uh, away and Watford fans in absolute bedlam. It was um, everyone going absolutely crazy, and then Spurs really took over after that. Uh, uh, it was they had David Ginola in their team, and he was having a lot of fun against Watford's defence. Um, and we didn't really know what to do about him. It was the first time I think this team had come up against a, cl- a real classy player. Uh, you know, someone who really was mm. was really creative and really classy on the ball and it showed that there was a bit of a, a, a golfing class just from him i don't think the rest of the team and it wasn't a, a vintage spurs side they didn't offer too much else but alan nielsen does score uh, for spurs in this game uh, a player who we would later see at, at vicarage road and and peter kennedy scores another one for watford but 
but we end up losing 5-2 and uh, it's all over as a contest by half time that one so no long cup run for Watford this year so yeah so the rest of the, the beginning of 1999 as we hurtle towards the new millennium uh, it's worth mentioning actually that uh, Millennium by Robbie Williams quite a big song this season and generally I think millennium, the Millennium was starting to feature quite a lot in popular culture wasn't it it was uh, lots, yeah. of, lots of rappers were talking about the Y2K as well and the Y2K computer glitch everyone was talking about that yeah that the Millennium bug the Millennium yeah. and bug. the Millennium Dome as well yeah yeah the, so the dome was being built as all the you know the celebrations being planned and stuff but that was that was although we were only just into the the start of this year that was that was looming over everyone now and the the talk of you know the new millennium that was a big thing that was a big deal and yeah it was a computer bug i mean just i know this is a bit of an aside but just the fact that people were so the, the, the rumors again that sort of you know the banks were going to stop working and planes were going to fall out of the sky and yeah it's good. just going to be absolute anarchy yeah yeah it was like going to be the end of fight club basically it was going to be like that <laughs> um but yes but that, that all sounds very exciting and uh for Watford it was a couple of nil nil draws at home to Portsmouth and away at Wolves not much to report from either of those games I went to Molyneux that's the only time I've been to Molyneux um the most memorable thing about that was that I had breakfast i had a fry up in the asda cafe near molyneux and uh and and it was very reasonably priced and and not bad actually and i think that's all i want to say about it um <laughs> i was in the game and i have no memory of it whatsoever <laughs> yeah it was it was it was two absolute shockers to start the year off i think followed it up with a, a defeat at home to west brom i think this might have been the game where uh there was a sort of well, there's a, a, a local Nigerian sort of cultural organisation did a sort of a welcoming for Benaroa. Do you remember this? There was a sort of a... I do. I do remember it. I remember it being on the front of a programme, but I, I yeah. don't remember when when the event itself... Well, I know that we lost the game immediately afterwards and Benaroa played probably his worst game in a Watford shirt afterwards. <laughs> so he so had this big fanfare on the pitch and sort of welcome to Benaroa and then he played an absolute shocking match and uh and Watford lost uh so um so that wasn't great but Tony Daly finally makes his league baby so that is the one positive from uh, the West Brom defeat and and it actually does all right so you know halfway through the season now and um we've got Daly on the pitch it's also a time when he announced Taylor announces that Stuart Slater and Wayne Andrews will be available um uh, on free transfers at the end of the season. I think, you know, Slater, we talked about, didn't we, um, that he could look absolutely superb, but more often than not, his performances, even if he was beating his man, didn't really, there wasn't the end product was there from him. Um, and he couldn't stay fit long enough as well, which is the other problem with, with Slater. And and Andrews's Watford career had looked really promising at the start and just sort of petered out a bit. Uh, Taylor remarks that he shouldn't have requested to come back early from a loan spell at Cambridge. I think he always thought that he needed to get a bit more experience. Um, uh, yeah, so I think he still sort of seems to be questioning his his mental strength. I think mm. that, that he'd had a couple of, um, but he had a loan spell at Cambridge. He goes on another loan spell. I forget where Peterborough maybe, and I think scores four yeah. scores four on his debut. Um, but they, they don't they don't follow up that interest. His, his loan no. spell isn't successful. But yeah, I think uh, I think Taylor's kind of saying there, look you're going to go through bad times. You're going to have hard times, beginning of your career, end of your career. 
you've got to work through them rather than kind of coming back to the safe home of Watford and sitting in the stand. I mean, yeah. you've got to, got to be asking more for your career than, than, yeah. than he was at the time. I think that's right. And then the month ends with one of the performances, if not, you know, the performance of the season. I don't think it's hard to say what the performance of the season was because there were several very, very good ones. But at home to Sunderland, 30th of Jan, 1999, definitely up there with some of the best performances that we've seen from Watford during this period. And I think it's not just a performance, it was the occasion as well, because it was a really packed Vicarage Road, this one. Sunderland had brought absolutely tons of fans with them because they knew they were on the march. You know, they knew they were going up this time. They had that momentum and they were they were scoring goals for fun. Uh, they had a real swagger about them and, you know, but and lots of people wanted to come and see them. So lots of, you know, I think it drew people to the stadium as well because they were a, they were quite a big draw at this time. You know, it was Phillips and Quinn, everyone knew how effective they were. You know, they were they were winning three, four nil most weeks, scoring goals for fun. It was going to be a tough ask for Watford to stand up to that. And it was going to need, you know, the very best of this team. I think the very best of what they could pull together. We knew that they were capable of doing extraordinary things. I think we'd seen that over the last year and a half. We knew they didn't do it every week, but it was going to need to be one of those games where they were absolutely sort of more than the sum of their parts and really used that, that sort of team ethos that they could draw on and that energy to try and put Sunderland under some pressure. It was, it was, it was all that and more, I think, from Watford. And the Watford crowd were really up for this. I remember it being the Vicarage Radium was really, really loud. Uh, and and mm. you know, the Sunderland fans were obviously making tremendous noise as well. And it all just made for a proper atmosphere uh, and a real sort of back and forth. And there was a real ebb and flow to this one. It was proper blood and guts football. I think we probably probably caught Sunderland, you know, not quite at their best. You kind of need that when you're playing against one of the top sides. Um, but I think we we put them, we knocked them out of their stride a bit by really probably surprised them a bit with how aggressive we were from the off. Nick Wright was absolutely tremendous in this game. He scores the first goal with a, a great header, but it was one of those matches that Nick Wright had where I think he had to be he had to be subbed off before the end because he basically run himself out of the game. He was just, <laughs> just sort of exhausted. That was pretty much every appearance, wasn't it? Was it was pretty I mean, much every like appearance. But rarely, this one... rarely went beyond 60 minutes. But yeah, he was great in this. That's because so he just he, you just, he wouldn't stop sprinting, would he? He like was just trying to sprint yeah. after everything. And sometimes it was just, you know, wasted energy because you're just like, why are you sprinting after that? But when, <laughs> when he had the crowd behind him and, you know, he would chase down lost causes and turn them into something and, uh, and make things happen. And Tony Daly was playing in this one. I think he actually sets up uh, Nick Wright's goal, the first one. Uh, and there was all, it was all clicking, I think, in this, in this game. No more, no more so than for Gifton Williams, who was playing up front. And a magnificent performance from him. It was really causing their defence and Paul Butler, who we will come on to in a second, all sorts of problems. The the goal that he scores is just an absolute sort of demonstration of what you talked about earlier, Matt, in terms of his ability to sort of the, the magnetic chest where the ball would just he, mm. he could appear in, in a crowd of players with the ball dropping out of the sky and somehow just make the suck the ball towards him and, and kill it dead. <laughs> 
And this one's from a throw-in from Ben Rowe, which is probably one of the worst long throws I've ever seen because... It's so high. The arc so on it is high. incredible. Yeah, he just sort of launches it up into the moon. It's like, what you... That is just not how you take a throw-in. And I don't know why he was taking it because it gave everyone half an hour to organise underneath it. But for some reason, you know, Gifton had, had sensed where it was going before everyone else. And stakes out his turf and because he was so strong he was no one was able to sort of muscle around him and head it clear so he takes it down almost like leans back to to take it on the chest to take the sting out of it and then swivels and volleys it in and uh and vicarage road goes absolutely nuts but of course the really sad thing about this game is uh you know shortly after that uh paul butler had had enough and and went absolutely through the back of him broke his leg Gifton actually tries to he sort of tries to run it off uh, uh, initially, but it is a it's a bad nasty knee break um, as a result of that tackle. Not even a booking, I think, for for Paul Butler, and and I think it's fair to say Gifton was never quite. He wasn't. We never saw him quite the same player again, or we we just don't know what his career trajectory would have been without that injury because. He'd already been an England under-18 player. He was on the verge of being called up to England under-21s. He'd really been growing into himself this season, I think, hadn't he? And uh, yeah, uh, uh, and it was, yeah, it's still one of my great sadnesses of this Watford era is that we never got to see his full progression of the player that he might have become. Obviously, it wasn't the end of his career and he did come back, but I don't, it never felt like he had quite the same sparkle what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think it's really sad, and you know, I was reminded of that watching this video because, yeah, he was on the he was on the verge of of beco- becoming something quite special, and I suppose it's easy to romanticise that, uh, given the trouble that he was in after this injury. You know, kind of afflicted him with a kind of arthritic complaint, I think, didn't it? As he came yeah. back, I mean, who knows? He 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 may have been, you know, the second coming of Luther Blissett or. We may have may have fallen away like like so many others who had uh, bright starts, but I think you know probably the former was more likely of the two. You know he he seemed to have it all. wasn't wasn't brilliant in the air, um, but that's something that he could have picked up as his career progressed. But yeah, a great touch had a, a knack of being in the right place. And sometimes with players like Gifton, they they graduate from the youth team solely on account of their physicality. But I think Gifton. As a 16-year-old, there was more to his game than that already. So, so I think his his progression into the first team was was well deserved. And yeah, it was it, it was really sad. I remember the injury, uh, the the challenge, if you can call it that. Well, I was sat in the for some reason I can't remember what it was, but we were sat in the lower rouse uh, that that day and kind of had a clear view across of, of where it was happening. But yeah, I mean. I like seeing Gifton now, and I'm pleased he stayed in football. And he, you know, he's he's got at least one son that's in the game as well. And he's he's such a he's got such a sparkling personality. Yeah, um, and it's lovely to hear him talk. He doesn't seem bitter about this because, uh, like you say, it wasn't that this moment ended his career, but it severely affected it to the point where he would never never rise to these levels really again. Uh, and he played for a few other clubs. He, I remember he played for Stoke, and I think he might have played in Spain as well. Maybe um, he did, yeah, 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 yeah. A couple so, of years, a couple of clubs in Spain, I think. Yeah. So yeah, a, a sad moment. Um, because because who knows what who knows what could have happened. But you know, he he obviously he doesn't play again this season. But 
I mean, he scored 10 goals, hadn't he, by the end of January, 10-ish by the end of January, which is a, yeah, I think you know, a good return. Like, that run of, you know, the, the couple of the home wins where we'd scored, you know, the Stockport game and the Crew game, and he'd started, scored a couple of braces in both of those, and, and he was scoring more sort of proper strikers' goals, I think, where he was running through on goal, getting behind the defence and finishing really well. And so it was yeah. that sort of, you know, and he had that confidence you could see that's what I mean about his sort of, he'd started to sort of believe that he was going to do it. He was going to score and he, he, his confidence was up. And I think he obviously had struggled with confidence a bit the previous season where he, he'd had some quite barren spells as well. And he was still very, so young. Yeah, he was still a teenager, wasn't he? He was born yeah. in 1980. Yeah, I mean, he would be he would be about to turn 19, I think, or yeah. maybe had just turned 19. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I... I He's. You're right. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to sort of hold grudges about it. He's, he doesn't seem to be particularly bitter about it. I think Watford fans are probably a lot more bitter about it than he is. Because uh, yeah, I would say so. Entirely sort of cynical and brutal challenge from Paul Butler, who was just a player who's being completely yeah. out, outplayed and bullied by a by a teenager and reacted by breaking his leg. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't think I've forgiven Paul Butler for that one, and um, uh, I don't think I ever will. But I'm not a particularly not in a forgiving mood, Matt. So um I think No, we, we hold grudges. We, we hold, hold grudges. Well. We hold them well. Uh that brings us to the end of January. And although it was a tremendous victory, famous victory, lots of people remember that one against a very, very good Sunderland side. The loss of Gifton is significant, I think, because he was playing, he had become a you know a regular starter in the first team, and we hadn't had none of the other strikers in our books were scoring regularly for the team. So so that did pose a bit of a question for the side, didn't it, Matt, going into going into Feb and, and beyond. Yeah, indeed. One of the solutions obviously is to is to stick Mooney back up front. And that's that's pretty much what Taylor does. We have a game against Bradford away. And Bradford are, are I think the surprise package of the season. They're in second at this point. And you know, they're not keeping up with Sunderland, but they're 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 doing well. Um, we played rubbish and, and, and lost 2-0. It could have been more. After that, we we play Huddersfield at home. Uh, we draw that one all, but Mooney scores in that match, you know, restored to the attack. I think our strikers, I mean, who have we got left? We've got Alan Smart, who's kind of intelligent, likes to, likes the ball to his feet. Mooney's kind of the one, I think, really, that's going to give us a bit more of that aerial prowess that, that I mentioned a, a, a few months ago. He, he scores in that match. Uh, we go to QPR, which I guess QPR is pretty much our local derby, isn't it, around this time, with Luton languishing in the division below. So probably the closest team to us. Uh, and Grainto kind of shakes up the team as well. He, he put Mooney up front, but then makes a few other changes as well. I think he makes four changes uh, for this match and includes Tommy Smith on the bench, uh, who'd had a couple of appearances off the bench in the previous season. And it all works. We win 2-1. Nicky Wright scores the first goal and, it, and it's Chamberlain's assist. It's a kind of a booted kick down the field and Wright, I think, lets it bounce once or two, but it bounced once or twice, but it's bouncing high and he catches it on the volley over, uh, over the QPR keeper and into the far corner. And Tommy Smith comes on, passes the ball, it goes out wide, it comes back in again and he scores with his second touch of the game. So great impact off the bench for, for young Tommy Smith and yeah, Paul Goldsmith uh, in our mentions as reminds us that he's a, a young skinny lad, but he's one of our own. Uh, and Smith would go on to affect a few more seasons to come. I read an interesting thing because I was looking at 
reading an interview with Ronnie Rosenthal on the Watford Legends website where he talks about this season and how because by the you know by this point obviously we haven't really seen Rosenthal now he had an injury didn't he at the start of the season and then he's not been able to get back into the team and there was a training session because Tommy Smith had started to get into the first team squad and that's what I think was sort of making Rosenthal start to question whether he still had a you know a, f- a future in the games. He's thirty six now, uh, and although he'd sort of fought his way back to fitness, he wasn't getting picked to be on the bench because Taylor was giving Tommy Smith an odd. And he, he challenged Tommy Smith to a sprint race to sort of test himself to see <laughs> what like what basically what he still had in the tank. And um, uh, and he says Tommy Smith beat him by a couple of yards, and that was when he knew like he oh, was man. done. Basically, yeah. it was like. The youngsters come up and because he was like i always have my pace is always like my main asset and if i don't have that to rely on anymore then i'm not oh, going to be the God. player that i'm not going to be the player that i was and you know so that was a sort of like where he knew that it was a sort of beginning of the end for him but i just love the idea of him being like the old being like <laughs> youngster come over here like <laughs> summoning gonna, him yeah you're gonna have a you're gonna sprint <laughs> it's a i challenge like, you to a duel yeah a duel a death a death match like <laughs> only one can survive yeah exactly yeah i think um i mean maybe we'll talk a bit more about uh rosenthal when we come to the end of the season and yes. kind of look back on it as a piece but i think he was really doing the he was a good conduit, I think, between the the manager and the team. He was the most experienced player. Uh, like I say, he wasn't getting in the team, but I've seen countless players talk about what a great influence he was and how yeah. how how good he was at kind of you know communicating all that he could through that through that lived experience that he had and how he was able to help players like Tommy Smith, you know, help them develop as players. You know, like our wide players and our forwards, they uh, they could all learn a lot from Rosenthal, even if. Rosenthal wasn't there kind of doing it on the pitch anymore. Yeah, agree. Absolutely. A good character. Yeah. Uh, and February, obviously a short month. So we only fit four games into the month. And another poor performance on TV. Another one that you were there for. Oh, God. Home to Swindon, a 1-0 loss. To tell us how bad that was. Oh, this was a, this was like Grimsby at home when we lost 3-0 territory. It was like, it was, there was nothing redeeming about this game. It was pissing with rain it was cold dark there was actually no one there I think because it was a Friday night on the TV cameras it was those people just could not be asked it was such a miserable evening so it was only for I think there was like seven and a half thousand there was just a sort of windswept wet empty vicarage road and we barely had a shot on goal Swindon had won and scored and won the game one nil there was the start of grumblings, uh, uh, which might sound surprising, I think, after the start of the season that we'd had, but some fans were starting to get on players' backs a bit. I think it always happens a little bit, doesn't it? But it's still, I remembered this because I remembered there were, there was the, that this game in particular, I remember there were like quite a lot of anger um, from, yeah, from a few fans, not from everyone. There's a lot of apathy as well. I think people were just a bit like, oh, well. We had a great start, but it's 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 run its course now, and we're sort of drifting a bit now. And but no, some of the some of the fans were getting a bit on the players' backs, and particularly Alan Smart. Uh, he hadn't scored for a while. He was getting he was getting a fair bit a fair bit of stick, which is not exactly going to do his confidence a world of good. Micah Hyde, I think you know people thought he wasn't putting a shift in. He's one of those players, isn't he, Hyde? That because of the style of play. It, can sometimes look like he's 
he's maybe you know not not affecting the game as much as you want him to but yeah i mean i think i think it cuts both ways doesn't it because at his best you you could say it makes it look effortless yeah exactly it's like, at its worst it's like why aren't you putting the effort in is like yeah. you're saying the same thing to him really aren't you? you are you are you are and i don't think there is any i, I personally don't never question Hyde's commitment in a Watford shirt. I think no. he was a fantastic player for Watford. He just sometimes he did have the odd game where he it, it did he didn't seem to impose himself as much as in other games, and that that just happens. Uh, and then also some fringe players like Clint Easton were getting a bit of abuse as well. Which again, you know, a player who's come through the youth team, you know, relatively inexperienced and coming off the bench, is not exactly the best targets for our fans. What I why makes me think is that there's a, this is always it's always been thus hasn't it with football in that mm. uh you even a you know a club like Watford which generally prides itself on being you know having a decent fan base that do you know give they're fairly patient and give their players time and you know reward hard work and effort and they don't expect to win every single game I think in in a modern era you you feel like there's less of that because of social media and everyone's very reactive and sometimes it feels a bit it can feel a bit like the older fans are being a bit sort of lectury to the younger fans. Like, mm. oh, you think this is bad? You should have been there. Which yeah. I'm sure if you're a younger fan, it's like the most infuriating thing in the world. But actually, it was. it's not really a generational thing. I think it's more that there are some fans who just get, they vent, they let it out by getting very angry and, uh, and, and they like to just <laughs> turn on the players a bit and they choose their targets and they just, you know, for whatever reason, they think that's okay. And other supporters don't do that and don't feel comfortable doing that and it's but it's always been there hasn't it and it was there then and uh, it's um it was but it was definitely you know it's not I'm probably making over giving this a bit more credence than necessary in terms of like the you know how significant the the change in mood was but I think I'm just doing it to make the point that from the start of the season that we'd had and the excitement and enthusiasm through particularly the first half of the season it has started to it's been a fairly miserable month February with that win from QPR aside and going into uh, uh, March it 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 wasn't looking a hell of a lot better and didn't really get a lot better the results were were, were not improved as as March uh, rolled forwards lost away at Ipswich uh, lost uh, away at Sheffield United, uh, conceded six over those two games. Was three two at Ipswich and three nil at Sheffield United. I think the Sheffield United game was performance was probably better than the result, but there's nothing to suggest that an, an, an upturn in results is around the corner. I went to Oxford United. This was my only trip to the Manor Ground. Again. Not a particularly memorable one. Uh, a nil-nil draw, very forgettable. Oxford were really poor sides, but we didn't really impose ourselves on them. Did you ever go to the Manor Ground, Matt? Is that one that you no, not a ground that I've ever visited. Um, Do you enjoy it? The ground is like it's a nice little compact ground. Yeah, uh, I remember walking past a bowls club to uh, <laughs> to get to it. It was you know it very it felt very much like you were going to a, a non-league side and not a, a yeah. second tier side. It was a really sort of uh, a tiny little tiny little place. Um and we we're very sort of shallow but steep uh, away terrace. Uh, and so you were sort of 
felt like you were practically on the pitch. But apart from that, uh, no, it was a very uneventful nil-nil draw. We did wear yellow uh, shorts with our away ah, shirt. Yeah. So there was further kit problems in a match um, against Oxford. Yeah. Further kit problems. Um, and we signed Guy Whittingham on loan as extra uh, uh, support for the striking options here because, as we've been discussing, you know, form has nosedived pretty much since Gifton's injury. We've we've not been able to pick up results. Yeah, you know, we've got that one win at QPR in, in Feb. We're now into mid March, uh, and we're, we we are not winning football matches. We're more often not we're losing, and we're not really scoring any goals. The other notable thing to happen here, um, which Matt, I don't know if you want to tell us something about, is the the man in the pink shirt. Yeah, so I think I think a lot of people know the story now, although they probably didn't know it as it was happening. Graham Taylor had been introduced to Kieran Cosgrove, who you may uh, listeners might know as a pink shirt man, who appears appears in a number of the the, the photos and videos from this point onwards. He was kind of involved in the burgeoning field of sports psychology and had had worked in in America uh, at some big sports teams and and sports clubs. Um, And he's kind of, yeah, he's been introduced to Taylor. Taylor obviously remembers this and calls him up because he needs needs a good bit of motivational thinking. You know, he needs some PMA at this club and and Cosgrove is is considered to be the best person to deliver that. So he comes in and um, he brings in lots of analogies from like the world of, of of like Gaelic football or hurling or something like that. And and, and rugby union, you know, he's transferring this, these kind of techniques that have served him earlier in his career and sort of sees how, because he doesn't seem to know very much about football, but what he does seem to know is, you know, how a team can be more greater than some of its parts, which as we've established is, is really the key point about this Watford team. You know, it's when, when it's, when it's good, it is, you know, it's uh, it is better than some of its parts. You know, we don't have the the world's most technically able players, but got a lot of uh, fighting spirit and stuff like that. And and Cosgrove is is kind of brought in to, to help us rediscover that a bit. And I think we all know that it works. It will take a game or two <laughs> to kick in. Doesn't have an instant impact. I think it's fair not to quite. say, but not quite. But, but it correlates um, very closely. Doesn't it, it does correlate very closely. You're absolutely right. The, the following game, following week is a. Uh, uh, a home match against Barry, a nil-nil draw, very much a ball draw, best forgotten. Had a few of those in recent months. Whittingham and David Perpetuini make their debuts. This is also, it's worth noting, one of our listeners, Jamie Parkins, who shall, for the rest of this podcast and the following episode, be known as Jamie Robinson Crusoe Parkins, because he leaves for he leaves for Fiji after this match. And as we shall find out, he doesn't find out how the season concludes until August. So um, we'll return to yeah, that. Yeah, no, no electricity, no internet, <laughs> no, no email. It's just <laughs> message in a bottle for Jamie Parkins. Yeah, yeah. I'm picturing Tom Cruise in Castaway, just sort of <laughs> just, just sky wandering a beach, just scavenging rubbish that's being washed up and... <laughs> Anyway, we won't, we're no spoilers. No spoilers. We'll, uh, we'll wait till we get to the end of the season to to talk about Jamie's adventures. But we end the month. We end the month in eighth with no win in five matches, seven points, and three places off the playoffs. That's a lot of ground to make up uh, going into April. Uh, since Boxing Day, 
I mean, this is where it is to sort of really illustrate how things have tailed off since Boxing Day. It's played 13, won two, drawn six and lost five. That is not promotion winning form, is it, Matt? No, it's not. No, it's 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 very much lower mid-table form, isn't it? So it's yeah. no no surprise to see that we've dropped from you know, we've been we've been mostly around fifth-ish, haven't we? We've, we've, yeah. We're up in third in the very early part of the season, but but yeah, we have we have dropped away, and it's it's more the point gap, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's um it's already seven points, which is a lot. You know, going in with with not many matches to go, you're looking at reclaiming back up practically a point a match, which, yeah. which is a tall order. It is a tall order. So where do we feel? You know, just generally, I suppose this. The season is heading at, at this stage. Do you have? Can you remember how you felt about it at this stage? Right, what you really thought going? Because were you still enthused? Were you still engaged in this season? Were you just sort of going through the motions a bit and turning up because you felt obliged to? I think that I was probably still slightly more optimistic than most, but I was starting to feel a bit deflated about mm. how it was going. That it wasn't going to be a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. As a Watford fan, I think I tend to give managers and players kind of a little bit more benefit of the doubt than some other fans. I'm not saying that that's a positive or a negative. It's just a thing. You know, I get it wrong as many times as I get it right. But I was kind of inclined that they probably weren't going to, you know, get back up to no. fourth, fifth, whatever. But but there was still the potential to turn it in. It could still be a good season. You know, if they if they if they could win half of the remaining games, it could still be more than respectable finish um put us in place for a good season next year perhaps i mean that's kind of from memory that's kind of how i was feeling about it what about you yeah i think i went into this season that i felt like every game i saw us as the underdog so anything yeah. positive that we got out of it i was really delighted with because I, it felt like it always felt to me like all the other teams bigger sides than us or they've got better players than us or a more established team than us or whatever it was i kind of mentally in my head made us the underdog in pretty much every game so I never expected us to win um mm. and so every time we did I was I was absolutely delighted but I because we'd had such a positive start I had started to dream in a, sort of the first half of the season that well maybe we would just hang in there and and you know maybe and the Premier League had seemed such like a sort of promised land yeah, uh, that had seemed so far away for most, you know, pretty much the entirety of this decade. Never really seemed like a realistic prospect. So just having having had it dangled there just for a few months, where we're at the, and I knew it was early stages and not to get carried away. But yeah, I felt because we were slipping further and further away from it, and there was no signs that a swing around was in in in, in the making. I still held hope, like you. I think I still held hope because. I was, I wouldn't, I don't think I would do now because I think I'm old and cynical now. And I just, you know, these days I'm more likely to just think everything's going to be rubbish. But I think then I, because I was younger, I was just sort of naturally more optimistic and Mm. I wanted to still believe. So I was still going with just a sort of a a little flicker of hope still there that something could happen. But it felt like a massive long shot at this stage. I felt like, I was less confident in the players, but I was still extremely confident in Taylor. Yeah. You know, he'd really, I, I wasn't around for his, for his glory period in the eighties, but he'd really, he'd really captured my heart, I think by this point. And, and, and that's not, that's not going to be a unique opinion amongst no. our, 
listenership and indeed this zoom call but um yeah and I was really kind of I really put all of my faith and trust in him and I knew that if anyone was going to be able to do something it, it was going to be him or yeah. it was going to be a man wearing a pink shirt yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it wasn't that he was in, he, he clearly hadn't been infallible during this period and there'd been some absolute stinkers but I felt the same I think you just having him there he was still he still had that enthusiasm and he hadn't given up and so yeah. Like because he still so had enthusiasm for every game, it meant you that you shouldn't because he was still like you still he was approaching every game with the same sort of drive and and enthusiasm even after missing a bit of the season in hospital. So I think I think you're right. I think I think his presence is probably what was different. If it had been a Steve Perryman season or a Glenn Roder season and it started to go this way, you'd have kind of been like, well, yeah, that's probably it then. But I think with Taylor. You just it just meant that there was something there to cling on to a bit longer, I suppose. So we're not going to do our usual roundup of the season because obviously the season hasn't concluded, but we've already covered a lot. So we are going to pause this episode here uh, and we will resume in part two of the 1998-99 season to see how the season concluded and to, to talk through our shared memories and experiences of of that running of the season and thank you to everyone who's already contributed their thoughts uh, please do continue to to share with us on oh my word pod on twitter and i'd also love to see some more pictures if anyone's got pictures of this season and um uh, and particularly that running uh, and then please do share that with us as well so look forward to concluding this season and we'll see you next time for for part two so thank you matt cheers see you everybody Rodgers, ah! My word! And no wonder the smiles are there.